For our scripture reading, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 8. I'll begin reading at verse 20 to the end of the chapter. Exodus chapter 8, beginning at verse 20. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 60. Continue our summer series looking at the ten plagues and the Passover. And this morning, we consider the fourth plague, the plague of flies. Let us now hear God's word. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else... If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses, Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so. For the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Thus far the reading of God's word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of Christ, there was a recent article just a day or two ago And the title of the article goes like this, New York City invaded by winged aphids amid Canadian wildfire smoke 
experts say. Boys and girls, aphids are flies. They are flies, and they swarmed New York City, various boroughs in New York City. A photographer named Jeremy Cohen pointed out bugs that were dying on his shirt and glasses when he was biking in a Thursday Twitter, Twitter video. And he said, it feels like the apocalypse right now. Multiple Twitter users referenced the ten plagues of Egypt in the biblical story of Exodus, including flies. And interestingly enough, the article goes on to say, some neighborhoods have remained bug-free. <laughs> Do we have the plague happening again in New York, New York City? Is God striking New York City? Well, we need to remember that the miracle, the miracle of Exodus 8 and the plague of flies is different than what's happening in New York City. What's happening in Exodus and the plague of flies is supernatural. That means it's above the laws of nature where someone who is above nature, namely God, who is the creator of nature, and because he's the creator of nature, has the power and authority to manipulate nature to do his will and work. That's what's profound and mysterious and glorious about God, is that he can take his very creation and use it to serve his purposes. So it's supernatural. But what we also have going on in Exodus, the plague of the flies, is it, because it's supernatural, it's miraculous. Only God can accomplish this. God is the Lord of the flies who protects his people. And in the past number of sermons on the plagues, we've always started with the significance of the particular plague. And it's going to be no different this morning. What's the significance of the plague of flies? Every plague, God strikes the gods of the Egyptian people. The Nile River had gods who oversaw the Nile River, which was the source of life for the Egyptians. The frogs. There was a God who embodied herself as a frog. The gnats. Gods that embodied themselves as gnats. Well, what about the flies? This is a little bit more complicated. We see in our text that the Lord warns Pharaoh and says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water. So he's going out to the water, probably the Nile River, probably to worship his gods and, and pay homage to his gods, which was commonplace for the Pharaohs to do. Go to him, Moses, and notice Aaron isn't mentioned here, nor a rod. Thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me, worship me, or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, 
I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Why flies? What's the significance of this plague? It isn't clear which God or gods of the Egyptians the Lord God was humiliating and striking because the Egyptians had many gods and many flies that were associated to God, but we don't know which particular fly is mentioned here. It's difficult because we don't know exactly what species of flies swarm the peoples and homes and land of Egypt. Some believe that the Lord was striking the god Kepri. Kepri manifested himself as a scarab or dung beetle. These beetles in Egypt were sacred. They were sacred because they would lay eggs in dung and use their antenna to move the dung to the, per, per, uh, the particular location they wanted it so their eggs can hatch. And they associated this god to the God of sun, the God of resurrection, or the God of rebirth. As the beetle moves the dung with its eggs in it, who will birth, who will produce life, so too their God, the God of sun, is moved along the sky. Remember last week we talked about this. They had to understand how the world worked. They didn't have what we understand today through science and the universe. And so they're trying to make sense of the world. And so they believe that the God of the sun was moved along the sky as a beetle moves the dung through the, the, the land. The antennas move the sun across the sky. And then as the sun goes down, this God moves it through the underworld. And then at the sunrise, you have rebirth of the sun. That's how they understood it. And some interpreters believe that God was striking the God Kepri and demonstrating that he is the one who is the God of rebirth. The God who brings transformation to the soul, the heart. It's possibly one explanation for the flies. Other historians, however, think of the plague of flies against another God who was embodied as another type of fly, another species of fly. And this species of fly laid eggs in other living things and were birthed. They came to life. Still other interpreters believe that the plague was an attack against a god called Beelzebub to the Egyptians. Beelzebub meaning the lord of the flies. But in the New Testament, we understand Beelzebub to mean what? the prince of demons. So all that to say is, do we know exactly what fly or what god or gods the Lord is striking here? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. We know he's striking the gods of Egypt in these plagues. But what's important about this plague, what's very significant about the plague is this. The God who is Lord of the flies strikes the gods of Egypt and the land of Egypt in a powerful way through the miracle of the swarm of flies that happens at his command. In his time 
and in the particular place that he chooses. He says at verse 23, tomorrow this sign, this miraculous sign will happen. Pharaoh, let my people go, or else you will be consumed with a swarm of flies. God will use one of the smallest creatures to wreak havoc upon the land and the people. And that's very significant because as we look at this passage of Scripture, not only is it very significant that God miraculously strikes the Egyptians with the plague of flies, but what else does he do that's different than the previous plagues that are noted there? He makes a very clear distinction between his people and the people of Pharaoh's people. He makes a distinction between land. He makes a distinction between God's will and Pharaoh's will. He makes a distinction between God's lordship and Pharaoh's lordship. He separa- God separates himself from Pharaoh, and his people are separated from Pharaoh's people. And because he separates his people from the plague, God protects his people from his judgment and wrath. Because what happens with the swarm of the flies that is also significant and different than the previous plagues? Look with me in your Bible at verse 24. And the Lord did so, sent a swarm of flies. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was what? Ruined. The land was ruined by the swarm of flies, something that we didn't hear before. Yes, the frogs were a nuisance. The gnats were a nuisance. The Nile River made the people fast from water. It was a nuisance. These flies caused harm. They afflicted the land. That's the significance of the plague of flies. God creates a distinction between his people and Pharaoh's people. God's will and Pharaoh's will. God's lordship and Pharaoh's lordship, lowercase l. How does the Lord protect them? How does he protect his people? Secondly, the separation, in your notes, is a separation and redemption of God's people. It should say the separation of the land and the redemption of God's people. The separation of the land and the redemption of God's people. God sets apart the land of Goshen from the rest of the land of Egypt. Look with me in your Bible at verse 22. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And then look with me at verse 23. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Literally, I will set a redemption. I will set a ransom between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. 
God will send the great swarms of flies. On the day of the miracle, God makes his powerful lordship known by the separation of the land and the redemption of his people. His people will be protected and dwell safely in a portion of Egypt's land, the land of Goshen. Pharaoh and his people, however, will suffer the consequences for their rebellious and disobedient hearts, their hardened hearts. When God separates the land of Goshen from the rest of Egypt, Pharaoh and Egypt will know what? That he is the Lord in the midst of the earth. Notice it doesn't say he is the Lord in the midst of his people, though he is, but he is Lord in the midst of the earth, in the land, all the land. God the creator owns all things. Every domain and jurisdiction of all the earth belongs to the Lord God, especially to the land, the Egypt he owns. And so, Pharaoh, there isn't one square inch in all your land in which I am not Lord. I am the sovereign. I am the Lord. And I will distinguish my people from your people. Their land in which they dwell will be protected. Your land will be harmed, ruined. We do well to remember that Goshen was a place where Jacob's offspring resided when they arrived in Egypt. You may recall, if you're taking notes, Genesis chapter 45, verse 7 and following. In that passage of Scripture, what happens? Jacob talks to his brothers and says, Go send for my father. Tell him all is well here. I'm going to protect you and your people, your offspring. God through Moses will use, or God through Joseph, will protect the people and allow them into Egypt to dwell where? In the land of Goshen. Where there will be plenty. God says, there I will, or Joseph says, there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Goshen was, was the place where Israel's descendants dwelled. But why spare Israel? Why have compassion on Israel? Do you ask yourself that question? Why does God create a division? Is Israel worthier, more worthy than Egypt? Do they possess an inherent goodness that made them better than the nations and the kingdoms and people? Was there anything more special inherently about Israel that God spared them? No, God spared them because he chose them and he loved them. He redeemed his people because he, in his great love for Israel, his people, chose them before the foundations of the earth to be his people And he chose them in love. He chose them in love. When his people cried for help, he heard their cry and he answered their prayer. And we see this in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, where we read, During those many days the king of Egypt died. 
And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. He spared them. He had mercy upon them because he had chosen them and loved them. Even when they were unlovable and rebellious. If you're taking notes, Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 5, I did not choose because you're worthy of love. I chose you because I love you. I chose you because I want you to be my people and I will be your God. The Lord of the flies doesn't spare Pharaoh and his people, but he spares his own people, has mercy upon his own people. When the land is free from harm and ruin. And what is the result? Lastly, what is the result of the plague of flies? How does Pharaoh, king of Egypt, respond to what happens here? Well, he was completely bugged out. (laughs) He seeks rest and relief from the flies, and he knows that the only way to put an end to the plague is through the intervention and intercession of Moses the prophet. Plead to the Lord on my behalf. Essentially what happens here is that Pharaoh tries to negotiate the terms of release of God's people. Listen carefully to what I'm saying here. Pharaoh tries to negotiate the release of God's people. Go sacrifice to your God within the land. He knows the demands the Lord through Moses spoke. But he doesn't want to lose his slaves. He doesn't want them out of his sight. Pharaoh wants his slaves. Go serve the Lord within the land. Because if they go out of the land into the wilderness, he can lose them, lose sight of them. But the Lord's ultimate purpose in the release of the people is freedom and worship. Release the people. Let my people go so that they may serve me, worship me with their whole heart, unencumbered by bondage and slavery. But Moses says it would not be right to do so. Why isn't it right? Moses says, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. Is Moses now negotiating and compromising when he knew God's command? I don't think so. Most commentators don't believe so. One of the better interpretations is that Moses proved that Pharaoh proved to Pharaoh that worshiping within the land was unreasonable and not an option because the Jews or the Egyptians rather had great disdain for Jewish sacrifice. In other words, Moses responds to a fool according to his folly. 
Come on, Pharaoh, you know. You know what's going to happen if we sacrifice within the land. Bulls, rams, goats, those animals that you worship as God or some God is embodied or manifest through these animals and the Egyptians see us worshiping these animals. You know what's going to happen. They're going to stone us. It's comparable to a Gentile sacrificing a pig in a Jewish temple. It's comparable of sacrificing a pig in a mosque. It's comparable to sacrificing a cow in India where cows are sacred. You do that in Indra, they will not be happy. And violence will break out. There would be uproar and, uproar and violence. And so Pharaoh says, okay, let's amend the terms now. Let's amend them. Where he says, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far. Okay, you got me on the first one, Moses. Let's, let's negotiate even further. Don't go very far. Please, don't lose me here. Because you're going to see what's happening and how the Christ of Scripture is revealed. Don't lose me here. Moses receives the word of Pharaoh. Moses, you must not go out very far. Plead for me. Moses pleads to the Lord for Pharaoh. And the Lord brings an immediate end to the plague of flies. An immediate plague. By his grace and mercy, Moses spares Pharaoh in Egypt and pleads for Pharaoh that no further destruction be upon the land. And God miraculously eradicated the swarm of flies the next day instantaneously, miraculously, where the text says, not one remained. The guy in New York City, he saw dead flies on his shoulders, on his clothes, on his glasses. God put a complete end to this plague where not one remained. Millions upon, maybe billions of flies gone should blow our minds away. Truly, God's mercy results in the miraculous end to the plague. But Pharaoh hardens his heart again and cheats again. He reneges on his promise. Congregation, Pharaoh thinks that he can manipulate and thwart God's plan. He thinks he can negotiate with God. He thinks he can be master and Lord. God will not be mocked and he will not compromise with man. God sets the terms, not man. And that ought to be a good comfort for us, a great comfort for us. He purposed to remove his people entirely from bondage and slavery and bring them into a place of redemption and rest in him. And now listen carefully. Listen carefully. In this plague, we have a very profound teaching of the ministry of Jesus Christ. 
we have a very profound application for us Christians. Because we too, through faith in Jesus Christ, are the offspring of Abraham, heirs of the promise. Like Israel, we have been chosen by God. And He chose us, not by our works, not because we were lovable, not because there was anything inherently good in us. No, He chose us in love. He loved us before the foundations of the earth. He chose us before the foundations of the earth were laid. If you are a Christian, a true believer in Christ, this is true of you. You have been chosen and loved by God. And he distinguishes you between Satan and the world. Where you are not in the world or of the world, though living in the world. You are different. You are distinguished. You are separated from the world. Jesus, who is Lord, came to be our Savior and to lead us out of Egypt. That is, he came to lead, lead us out of the house of bondage and slavery to sin. Because if we are not repentant, if we don't believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are still in our sin. We are still lost. Jesus came to release and redeem his people completely from the bondage to sin and the tyranny of the devil. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I belong body and soul in life and in death in my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has, what? Forgiven me of all of my sins through his precious blood and what? Set me free from the tyranny of the devil. We often miss what that last part means. He set me free from the tyranny of the devil. Egypt has no hold over God's people. Egypt symbolically referring to sin and slavery. Jesus, furthermore, didn't die so that we might have a longer leash in the land of Egypt, have one foot in Egypt and one foot in the kingdom of God. He didn't save us so that we would worship him within the land or not so far from the land, but completely out of the land. Christians think that they can have one foot in the world and one foot out of the world. No, Jesus came to redeem us and separate us from the world and sin and death and hell. He saved us so that we would submit to him and carry our cross daily in this wilderness until we enter his eternal rest and the promised land. Perhaps some of you are still living in Egypt, either in unbelief and still in bondage to sin. 
Perhaps some of you are Christians and still have one foot in Egypt and one foot in the kingdom. Where are you? Listen, God does not negotiate. He sets the terms. Repent of your sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Come out of Egypt on his terms. Be forgiven of your sins on his terms. Furthermore, the Christian faith isn't one of compromise or negotiations with the world and sin, especially when it comes to our moral and biblical convictions. Jesus didn't negotiate with the devil. He defeated the works of the devil. And yet the devil roars like a lion seeking someone to destroy. He's going after us. As Pharaoh went after God's people. Those who show interest in Christ and want to come to Christ must come to him and count the cost. Because Egypt tempts us to stay within the land, or not too far from the land. But if we call ourselves Christians, we must uphold truth and not compromise. Even the world labels us, even when the world labels us as fanatics, nationalists, white supremacists, whatever label they throw out. No, we are Christians by grace through faith in Jesus And this is how Jesus calls us to live. Come and follow him. Let's not compromise and negotiate when it comes to the worship of God and the exercising of a living faith in our Lord Jesus Christ as we do so before God's face and to God's glory. Let us remember that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Which domain or which kingdom living in? Can't straddle the fence. You either serve in God's kingdom or Pharaoh's kingdom, the domain of darkness. Choose Christ. Choose him. Turn to him in faith and repentance and be transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son by God's spirit and his good grace. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you, O God, that you demonstrated your own love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to die for the ungodly. That indeed you set a redemption, a distinction, a ransom for your people. And the Son of Man came to not be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we who call upon the name of the Lord by your grace and spirit are recipients of your salvation. O Father in heaven, 
May we, by your Spirit, live our lives for your glory and honor. May we, O Lord, worship you with our whole hearts and love you with all of our minds, with all of our strength, and with all of our soul, with our entire being. For Jesus Christ indeed has set us free completely. And so often we want to run back to Egypt, run back to slavery, run back to sin. So often, Lord, we think we know what is best and try to negotiate terms with you. Oh, Father, we pray that we would submit to your word and will and know the great joy that comes from faith in Christ and obedience to your grace and to your name. Oh, Father, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.